Amen. You know, it's less than two weeks now, and we will be marking the most important events in our Christian faith. We call it Holy Week sometimes, and menos de dos semanas vamos a tener lo que se llama Semana Santa. And that's a good name. Another good name is Good Friday. We call it Good Friday. Viernes Santo lo llamamos. And of course, that is an occasion for us to remember and to recognize and in some way hopefully experience the depth of Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. And so on Friday night, April 7, 7 p.m., we have our Good Friday communion service here at Sunrise, and we want to cordially invite all of you, kids as well, the whole family, this is a service where we together mark what Jesus Christ has given for us on the cross, and we hope you can be a part of it. El Viernes Santo, 7 de abril a las 7 p.m., aquí tenemos un servicio muy significante de adoración, de comunión, la Santa Cena, todo recordando lo que, he hecho, lo, lo que ha hecho el Señor Jesús en la cruz. So we hope you can be a part of that. I want to, at this point, uh, let our boys and girls go for children in worship time. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that that will be a very instructive time and an inspirational time for you. We thank all of our worship in, uh, children in worship teachers and leaders. Uh, los niños van ahora al tiempo de niños en adoración. And the rest of us, we're going to also have our time in God's Word. And we have been in this journey through the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and today we're at chapter 20. Believe it or not, it's like, wow, here we are already. Estamos en capítulo 20 de Apocalipsis hoy. That's our focus, chapter 20. And to get us started, we're going to read a portion of that chapter, verses 11 through 15. Vamos a comenzar leyendo versículos 11 al 15. I'll read it first in Spanish, and then we'll read it again in English. Voy a leer primero en español, después en inglés. And as you're turning to this, it's just the last few pages of the Bible, easy to find. I want you to be able to take this in. Take it in with your eyes, take it in with your ears, and to really imagine this scene that's being described for us. Espero que puedan absorber en su imaginación esta escena. This is imparted, a vision imparted by the Spirit of God to John, but it's also for us. It's for us to have a, a, a view of this. Uh, es una visión dada a Juan del Espíritu Santo, pero también es para nosotros. And so this is the word of God. Es la palabra de Dios. Let's, let's listen and take it in together. Vamos a escuchar juntos. Juan dice, luego vi un gran trono blanco y a alguien que estaba sentado en él. De su presencia huyeron la tierra y el cielo sin dejar rastro alguno. Vi también a los muertos, grandes y pequeños, de pie delante del trono. Se abrieron unos libros y luego otro que es el libro de la vida. Los muertos fueron juzgados según lo que habían hecho conforme a lo que estaba escrito en los libros. El mar devolvió sus muertos, la muerte y el infierno devolvieron los suyos y cada uno fue juzgado según lo que había hecho. La muerte y el infierno fueron arrojados al lago de fuego. Este lago de fuego es la segunda muerte. Aquel cuyo nombre no estaba escrito en el libro de la vida era arrojado al lago de fuego. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, 
great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So throughout this series on Revelation, as we've been trying to understand this book, there have been two big challenges that we have been facing. Hemos enfrentado dos desafíos a la hora de entender Apocalipsis. Two challenges that we need to keep in mind. Uh, the first challenge is how to interpret all of the images and the numbers and the symbols that we find in, in Revelation or Apocalipsis in Spanish, obviously. ¿Cómo interpretar las imágenes, números y símbolos? So are we to take these images and symbols and, and look at them literally at face value? Or are they pointing to other things? Son imágenes literales o se refieren a otra cosa? Frankly, the answer is not always clear, right? It's not always easy to tell. Is this literal or is this symbolic? And, and, uh, and even those who would say, I take everything in Revelation literally, literally, literally. Yeah, they also have to at some point say, no, this is symbolic here, but it's literal here. Aun los que dicen literalmente interpretan Apocalipsis, también miran cosas simbólicamente. So that's the first challenge. How do we understand these images and symbols? The second challenge is this, that in Revelation, we've already seen there are themes and there are events that seem to be repeated from different angles and from different views. Hay eventos que se repiten de otras perspectivas. In other words, there are times when it seems like Revelation just rewinds the tape a little bit and then replays it again. Es como si fuera rebobinado el video para mostrarlo otra vez. But there are also times when Revelation is showing us a sequence of events, a progression of events. It's things are steadily progressing in God's plan towards the climax in God's final victory. También hay una progresión, una secuencia de eventos hacia la victoria de Dios. So here's the challenge. When is Revelation rewinding the tape and showing us something from the same, from a different point of view? And when is Revelation saying, this is the next thing? This is the next step. We're moving forward here. ¿Cuándo está rebobinando Apocalipsis y mostrándonos algo de otra perspectiva? ¿Y cuándo está siguiendo adelante? You know, sometimes it's not always easy for us to figure that out. No es fácil discernir. And I think that's what makes this book so challenging, those two things. Por eso es desafiante este libro. Now, of all the challenging chapters in this challenging book, I think that Chapter 20 of Revelation may be the most challenging of all. Capítulo 20 es el más desafiante de todos. You know, for centuries, Christians have tried to understand this chapter. They've tried to understand not only the images and symbols in this chapter, but Christians have struggled to understand the sequence of events that are portrayed in this chapter. Los cristianos hemos luchado para entender las imágenes y también la secuencia de eventos en este capítulo. So the fun all starts right away 
in verses 1 through 3. Comienza en versículos 1 al 3. We see this angel swooping down from heaven. Viene un ángel del cielo. And this angel is kind of set up to be like a prison corrections officer. He's got a big key. He's got a big chain. He's got a big stick. And he grabs on to Satan, the dragon, throws him into the abyss, this spiritual dungeon, and he locks it up for 1,000 years. Viene un ángel con una llave, una cadena, y ata a Satanás y lo arroja al abismo mil años. Now, right away we face the question. Is this talking about a literal 1,000 years or is this a symbolic 1,000 years? A symbolic millennium. Son mil años literales o mil años hablando simbólicamente? Well, I've got my opinion, and of course my opinion's right. Um, and you have your opinion and you think your opinion is right, right? But the, the reality is Thoughtful Christians disagree on this. We don't, we don't all come together. No estamos de acuerdo todos en lo que es. Todos tenemos nuestra opinión. And then there's another issue going on here that we need to identify. Last week in chapter 19, we saw Jesus riding in on his white horse, leading the armies of heaven to this great final battle. En 19 vemos a Cristo en su caballo blanco llevando a las, los ejércitos del cielo a la batalla grande. And in effect, that is the second coming of Christ. That is the return of Christ. Es el retorno de Cristo. So now the question is, when we come to chapter 20 here, does this happen? Does, is, is Satan thrown into the abyss after that great battle? Or in some way is Revelation rewinding the tape and saying this is something that's occurring during or maybe even before. Who knows when? Está ocurriendo que Satanás está encarcelado en el abismo después de 19 o al mismo tiempo. Again, you're not going to find Christians in 100% agreement on that. And that's where a lot of the different opinions uh, about the thousand-year reign of Christ and the thousand years of Satan's imprisonment come from, from whether this is a sequence or whether this is a rewinding of the tape. Por eso el debate sobre el milenio. Now, this much I think we can say. This much is what we can gather from chapter 20. It's going to be a process for the devil to go down. It's going to take some time. It's going to take a process. Va a haber un proceso para que el diablo sea derrotado. We need to understand at least that much if we can. And then we come to verses 4 through 6. Luego versículos 4 a 6. And we read about what is called the first resurrection. Uh, hablamos de la primera resurrección aquí. So these great thrones come out, thrones for judgment, uh, thrones of authority, salen tronos de autoridad y de juicio, and then we're told that there are these Christians, these Christians who've been beheaded for their faith, decapitated and murdered for their testimony to Jesus, and it says that they rise up from the dead and they reign with Christ for a thousand years during that time that Satan is in the abyss. Después vemos a los decapitados y matados por su fe que resucitan y reinan con Cristo mil años. And along with that, it talks here uh, whether it's talking about them or somebody else, it talks about people who have not worshipped the beast 
or had his mark on their forehead that they are there as well también se habla de los que no han adorado a la bestia o tienen la marca en su frente now here's where the question comes up is this resurrection a resurrection only of the martyrs or is it a resurrection of all Christians? Es la resurrección de solo los mártires o de todos cristianos. Uh, after all, you would think a Christian has been one who's not worshipped the beast or had a mark on their forehead of the beast. Again, people way smarter than me have different opinions on that. And it's going to depend on how you look at the imagery here and the sequence. Depende de las imágenes y como las lees. I Desacuerdo en cuanto a eso. And it also depends on something else. It depends on how you understand the great judgment scene that you see in verses 11 through 15. That's what we read earlier. Depende de la escena del juicio en 11 15. Again, this great white throne comes out and, and, and the one seated on that is the judge and that is God Almighty without a doubt. Hay un gran trono de juicio que sale. Earth and heaven disappear la tierra y los cielos desaparecen and then it says that the dead great and small appear before the judge and they are judged los muertos grandes y pequeños comparecen ante el trono del juez and again we have to ask ourselves who are these people who are the dead here is this talking about the spiritually dead those who do not believe in Jesus and do not worship him, son los muertos espirituales que no adoran a Jesús? Or, is this talking about the physical dead who have been raised from the dead, both Christians and non-Christians that are then judged before God's throne? O son los muertos físicamente que se han resucitado para ser juzgados ante el trono de Dios. All right, well, again, it's going to be hard for us to understand and to read this and you're not going to get everybody to say I agree I'm with you so before we get stressed out about that I want to go back to something that a very well-known theologian says his name is Wayne Grudem in fact this is a quote from our fundamentals class or our foundations class over the last few weeks and basically, this theologian, Wayne Grudem, says that you're not going to get Christians to agree on this, what's going on here. Los cristianos no estamos de acuerdo en todo esto. But he says, all faithful Christians can agree on this much. Podemos estar de acuerdo en esto. That the return of Christ, in some form or fashion, the return of Christ will mean the judgment and condemnation of unbelievers those who reject him, and it will also mean the eternal reward and blessing of those who receive him. That that's the end result, and we can rejoice in that. El retorno de Cristo significa el juicio y condena de los no creyentes y la vida eterna de los que creen en él. So that's good news, isn't it? And then we come in the middle of these two scenes, the first resurrection and the judgment, sandwiched right in the middle here, we have verses 7 through 10. And verses 7 through 10 talk about the final defeat of Satan. Versículos 7 a 10 hablan de la derrota de Satanás. After the thousand years are over, whether they're literal or not, 
it says that Satan is released from his dungeon, from his prison, and he goes out to deceive the nations. Satanás está soltado de su encarcelamiento y va a las naciones. And then he gathers together the nations of the earth, Gog and Magog. That's a, an Old Testament reference referring to the rebellious nations. El congrega a las naciones rebeliosas, Gog y Magog. And he comes against God's people on earth in one last gasp effort to be victorious. Y tiene un último esfuerzo Satanás para ser victorioso. And we read about that in chapter 20, verse 9, versículo 9. They marched across the breadth of the earth, that's Satan and his forces, and they surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Marcharán a lo largo y a lo ancho de la tierra y rodearán el campamento del pueblo de Dios, la ciudad que él ama, pero caerá fuego del cielo y los consumirá por completo. So what we see here is a battle, a big battle that effectively never happens. Doesn't take place. Hay una gran batalla que nunca ocurre. Like the big bad wolf in the children's story, Satan comes and he huffs and he puffs and God blows his house down. That's what basically happens. Como el lobo del cuento de niños, Satanás sopla y sopla y Dios tumba su casa. He's destroyed with his forces. And then verse 10 says uh, here that the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. El diablo que los había engañado será arrojado al lago de fuego y azufre donde también habrán sido arrojados la bestia, el falso profeta y serán atormentados día y noche por los siglos de los so Satan is defeated. But, but notice here, there's something here we have to also notice. Where's Jesus? Jesus came in chapter 20, but he's not in this scene, or at least he's not mentioned. No se menciona Jesús en, este, en esta escena. Is Jesus gone? Is this after that battle where Jesus came back? Or is this during this battle, but it's showing it from another point of view? Or is this some other thing that we're not figuring out? Is después de la gran batalla de 19 o durante? Again, all we know, all we're told, is that God sends fire from heaven, poof, and Satan's last rebellion is crushed. Dios envía el fuego del cielo y derrota Satanás. And Satan is dealt with, and the rebellious are dealt with. So again, we're left with a lot of questions, aren't we? Hay muchas preguntas. But regardless, regardless of, of what your take is on this, and what my take is, again, we have to affirm some things. Hay que afirmar algo. We can affirm that after this process, after some lengthy process, Satan will indeed be completely defeated forever. Satanás va a ser derrotado para siempre. And you know what else we can affirm? Satan won't be the last enemy to go down. No va a ser el último enemigo. Did you know that? We often think of him as like, yeah, he's the worst. There's another enemy. The honor, if you want to call that, of being the last enemy belongs to another. El honor de ser el último enemigo es de otro. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a great 
chapter that talks about the resurrection of Christ, Primera de Corintios 15, and in verse 24, the early church leader Paul says this, versículo 24, then the end will come when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Christ is going to destroy every enemy uh, the devil uh, can throw at you. Entonces vendrá el fin cuando el Cristo entregue el reino a Dios, el Padre, luego de destruir todo dominio, autoridad y poder. And then verse 25 says, He must reign, Jesus must reign, until he's put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is Death. Death is that last enemy. Es necesario que Cristo reine hasta poner a todos sus enemigos debajo de sus pies. El último enemigo que será destruido es la muerte. So, here's where it's interesting. Here's where we get one sequence in chapter 20 that makes sense. Hay una secuencia aquí que tiene sentido. If we turn to chapter 20 in Revelation, verse 14, this is after Satan has been defeated, after Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire, después de la derrota de Satanás, versículo 14 dice eso. What does it say in verse 14? Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. La muerte y el infierno fueron arrojados al lago de fuego. Este lago de fuego es la muerte Segunda, so death is the last enemy to go down at the very end. And then there's something else here I want us to notice as we come to the end of chapter 20, something really important, hay algo importante. You see, no matter what our opinion might be of the 1,000 years where Satan is imprisoned, no importa o, o sea lo que sea tu opinión de los mil años. No matter what our opinion might be of the resurrection, of the living, and the judgment of the dead, and how all of that comes down. Sea lo que sea nuestra opinión de la resurrección de los vivos y juicio de los muertos. No matter what our opinion might be of the whole sequence of how Satan is defeated and how all that goes down. Sea lo que sea tu opinión de la derrota de Satanás. There are some things here that we can take away and we can say for sure, in addition to what I've already mentioned. Three things. Hay tres cosas para afirmar. First of all, Jesus is going to put all his enemies under his feet. Cristo pondrá todos sus enemigos debajo de sus pies. Secondly, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. El último enemigo para ser destruido es la muerte. And thirdly, we need to pay attention to the most important book of all. Hay que prestar atención al libro más importante de todos. And what is that book? Guess. Revelation 20 verse 15 tells us. Versículo 15. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire Aquel cuyo nombre no estaba escrito en el libro de la vida era arrojado al lago del fuego. We need to hear that. Because you see, Revelation is trying to tell us something very crucial here. Hay algo muy crucial aquí. The most important book to pay attention to 
is not the book of what you and I know. It's not the book of how intelligent we are and how we can figure things out in Revelation. El libro más importante no es el libro de nuestra inteligencia y lo que sabemos. The most important book to pay attention to is not the book of what you and I have done. Whether we have enough good deeds at the end of the day to be admitted into God's eternal kingdom. That's not the most important book. El libro más importante no es el libro de nuestras obras si tenemos suficientes buenas obras para entrar en el reino de Dios. Don't rely on that book. In fact, Revelation would tell us if you're relying on that book, you are dead. Si dependes de ese libro, estás muerto. Look with me at verse 12 again, versículo 12. It talks about the books being opened and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Dice que los muertos fueron juzgados según lo que habían hecho conforme a lo que estaba escrito en los libros. And then the very next verse, verse 13 says, each person was judged according to what they had done. Cada uno fue juzgado según lo que había hecho. Notice it does not say each person was saved according to what they had done. It does not say each person was acquitted according to what they had done. It doesn't say each person was given a little tap on the head and said congratulations because of what they had done. Nadie fue salvado o, o absuelto por lo que habían hecho. They were judged. If you want to put your stock in the book of what your good deeds have been, you're going to be judged. Every evil and good intention will be called out for what it is. Si tú quieres ser juzgado, o si tú quieres ser salvado según lo que has hecho, no vas a llegar a la meta. There's only one book that we need to pay attention to. One book that matters. It's called the book of life. Es el libro de la vida. And that is the book of what Jesus has done. In order to be victorious over sin and hell and death and to save his people and to bring about a brand new world. Lo que Cristo ha hecho para salvar a su pueblo. And what matters with that book is not what you've done. What matters is whether your name's in that book. Importa si tu nombre está en ese libro. And how do you get your name in that book? Well, it's all about faith, about trusting in Jesus the Lamb. It's his book of life. It's his life that he offers us. Es su vida que nos ofrece. And you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't be smart enough for it. You must receive it by faith. Hay que recibir esa vida por fe. In John chapter uh, 5 verse 24, Jesus says this, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Dice Jesús, dice, El que oye mi palabra y cree al que me envió tiene vida eterna y no será juzgado, sino que ha pasado de la muerte a la vida. How do you pass from death to life, not by good deeds that are dead, by believing in the one who sent Jesus and in Jesus himself, a creer en Jesús. It's about faith in Christ expressed in faithfulness to Christ. 
la fe en Cristo expresada en la fidelidad a Cristo. So I think we need to kind of reevaluate what we're after here. While it is valuable for us to understand the events that are in the book of Revelation, the final events and all of that stuff that's going to happen, Revelation itself is pointing us to the supreme importance of another book, the book of life. Aunque es importante entender esos eventos, Apocalipsis nos señala la importancia de la, del libro de la vida. So, we're not saved based on whether we understand Revelation or not. Thank God, right? Because we're all in trouble. We're not saved by that. No somos salvos por si entendemos Apocalipsis. We are saved by whether we embrace the author of life, Jesus, the faithful and true witness who expresses his word through this book, his message, Do you embrace what he has done for you to die on the cross? He's risen from the dead to clothe you in his righteousness. Jesucristo ha muerto en la cruz y resucitado para vestirnos en su justicia. It's what we were talking about last week. Do we believe that? Do we have faith in Christ? And is that faith expressed through faithfulness in following him? Tenemos fe en Cristo y expresamos esa fe en fidelidad a Él. There's another Bible scholar that says this. I really like what he says. He says, as we study the book of Revelation and, and the end times and eschatology, he says, we, we can easily lose sight of the fact that Jesus is calling us through this book. Al estudiar Apocalipsis, podemos perder que Jesús está llamándonos. And what's Jesus calling us to do in this book? This Bible scholar says Jesus is calling us to live victorious lives over sin, the world, and death. To live victoriously over sin, the world, and death. Hay que vivir victoriosamente sobre el pecado, el mundo, y el diablo. And Jesus is calling us to remain faithful to him at all costs because in the end, he's going to put everything right, including us. He'll put us right with God. Hay que ser fieles a Cristo a toda costa porque Él pondrá todas las cosas bien, incluso a nosotros con Dios. Basically, what this author is saying is what Jesus said way back in Revelation chapter 3, Apocalipsis capítulo 3. In verse 5, he says, The one who is victorious will be dressed in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of Life. El que salga vencedor se vestirá de blanco y jamás borraré su nombre del libro de la vida. What does it mean to be dressed in white? Well, if you back up just a couple verses, it says this. Remember what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Así que recuerda lo que has recibido y huido. Obedécelo y arrepiente. It's about being faithful and full of faith in Jesus Christ at all costs. Es ser fiel a Jesús. So in, in the end, I guess the real question is not this. The real question is not which interpretation of the thousand years uh, do you believe. No importa tanto qué interpretación de los mil años crees. 
The real question is, who are you going to worship? ¿A quién vas a adorar? Who are you going to give witness to in your life? ¿A quién vas a dar testigo? Will you worship and follow and believe and embrace and hold fast to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? ¿Te aferrarás a Dios Padre, Hijo, Espíritu Santo? Or will you worship and follow the unholy trinity of Satan, the beast, and the false prophet? ¿O adorarás a Satanás, la bestia, el falso profeta, esa trinidad impiadosa? Will you, in your life, live a life of faith in Christ, marked by devotion to Him, marked by a, a, a life of worship and following Him? ¿Vas a tener una vida marcada por devoción a Cristo? Or will your life carry the mark of the beast and a love for the things of the beast? ¿O vas a amar a la bestia y tener su marca? Will you allow Christ to dress you in his righteousness and therefore receive an invitation to his wedding banquet? ¿Vas a permitir que Cristo te vista de su justicia para que entres en su banquete de boda? Or will you become the main feast in, or the main uh, uh, course in God's judgment feast? ¿O serás el plato fuerte en el banquete del juicio? Will you embrace Life, or will you embrace death? Embrace life, and you reign with the author of life, Christ. Embrace death, and you embrace the lake of fire, the second death, and all that comes with it. Abrazas a la vida y abrazas a Cristo y su vida eterna. Abrazas la muerte y abrazas al infierno. So in the end, it's about the book beyond the book. Se trata el libro más allá del libro. The Lamb's book of life. And there are many ways for us to live into what Revelation is challenging us here to do. Uh, there are many ways to express our faith and faithfulness to Christ. Hay maneras de expresar nuestra fe y fidelidad a Cristo. Baptism is a mark is a mark of faith in Christ. Bautismo es una marca de la fe en Cristo. That's, that's one of those steps that, that can be a part of that. Professing publicly your faith, what we've seen people do right up here today to declare their witness to the world, I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and as the only way to life. Públicamente profesar tu fe en Jesucristo. That's a mark. That's a step. And with all those steps, baptism and professing your faith, there are other steps that, that go along with that. We talked about the two big ones that, last week. I'll repeat it again. Repentance. Repentance is letting go of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Letting go of that old party that's winding down. Arrepentimiento que es dejar el pecado. doesn't mean you'll never sin again. It just means you're, you know, I'm leaving that party scene, God. Help me. And faith, it's embracing Jesus, saying, I need you, I love you, I want you, help me. Y abrazar a Cristo. Those are all important steps, and there's a lot of other ones along the way, but, but ultimately, if you are at a place where you hear God calling you to take steps, 
we want to help you. I would love to talk to you about that. Our elder team would love to talk to you about this. That's why we want to see 25 mission partners this year because we want to see more people stepping into what it means to have your name on the roll. Not just the Sunrise Community Church roll, but the Lamb's Book of Life. Queremos que las personas puedan tener su nombre en el libro del Cordero de Dios. So if you'd like that, Please talk with us. We'd love to talk, pray, and discern with you. And if you want to start taking a step right now, it's simple. It just begins by going to the Lord. So I'm going to pray for us right now, and then we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed as a part of what we believe and testify to. Vamos a orar y después testificar en el credo. Let's pray. God, uh, there's a lot here that we do not understand. Hay mucho que no entendemos aquí. I pray that maybe we understand a little bit more today, maybe a little bit, but if nothing else is clear, Jesus, I pray that today we hear you speaking and saying, follow me, worship me alone, trust in me. Espero que podamos seguirte diciendo, Señor, confía en mí. Sígueme. Confíen en mí y yo seré su salvador. Lord, forgive us for thinking that we could even approximate your standard of perfection. We can't. Perdónanos, Señor, nuestros pecados. But thank you, God. We don't have to live according to the book of our life and our deeds. We can live according to your book. And we would pray that our names would be found there. Nuestros nombres esperamos y queremos que sean encontrados en tu libro, Señor. So help us from day to day to embrace you and to know that even as we grab onto you, you have a bigger grip on us. Aun cuando nos aferramos a ti, tú tienes aún más fuerza por aferrarnos a ti mismo. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be worshipful witnesses for you this week. Que podamos adorar y ser testigos de ti esta semana. It's in your name we pray, dear Jesus. You're the faithful and true witness. And all God's people together say, Amen. Amen. Let's stand to recite our faith, what we believe, what we hold to with the Apostles' Creed. We'll do this again in English and Spanish together. Vamos a recitar el credo todos en inglés y español a la vez. So if you're speaking Spanish, los que hablan español pueden seguir a Martín, and I'll be leading us out in English. So, people of God, what do we believe? ¿En qué creemos?